If you brought your Bible this morning, turn to uh, Psalm 19, book of Psalms right in the middle of your Bible, Psalm 19. We're going to be unpacking something that's there. We are in a series where we're looking at the Psalms uh, and trying to help us see what's the value of the book of Psalms to us. It's, it's, a, song, it's a song book. It is a prayer book. Uh, it, is, it is a book of poetry that the Hebrews used. Uh, and so sometimes we think that doesn't really relate to us. That's the old covenant. It really doesn't speak into our lives. But we think it is relevant because it, the book of Psalms is a personal book of, of uh, communication with God, relationship with God. And we think we have a relationship with God, right? We really do. So this is what it's about. So we're looking at the book of Psalms. And last week, Pastor Adam did a good job in introducing the book of Psalms with Chapters 1 and 2 are the first part, it's, is the introduction. Now there are five books that comprise the book of Psalms. So we're going to look at, verse, at book 1 today, uh, and next week we're going to look at book 2, and then book 3, book 4, so we're going to get a feel for this. If you looked at that introductory video that uh, we gave you an opportunity to watch, you know that there is a divine design behind the book of Psalms. It's not just a miscellaneous collection of poems. There's a design behind it. And uh, in uh, book one, which we're going to look at today, it, that covers Psalm 3 through Psalm 41. Psalm 3 through 41. Uh, that really talks about the Torah. The Torah. And sometimes we think, oh, that's, that's an old Hebrew Jewish term. Actually, the word Torah means guide or direction. So the law was God's direction. So it's typically translated law, but that's really not the best uh, translation for us because it's the whole teaching, the whole direction, the whole guide that the Bible is, not just the Mosaic law. It's not just the law. There's a whole lot of things Jesus told in the New Testament that was almost appears to be contrary to the law because the law wasn't just a letter. You know, this is the law. It's, there's a spirit behind it. And Jesus unpacked the spirit behind the law. So it's not the letter of the law, but the spirit. So the teaching flows all the way through the Bible. And it's a teaching to tell us how to get God's favor in our life, how to have God's blessing in our life. And there's things we have to do and there's things we cannot do if we want to have God's favor in our life. What are those things? That's the question. That's why we need the word. So I want us to look at chapter 19 and look at verses uh, 7 through 10 with me. I'm going to unpack this. And uh, He uses different terms for the teaching, for the Torah, for the the direction that God gives us for our lives. Verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right or righteous, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, Enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, 
than honey in the honeycomb. This is Hebrew poetry. He is putting together uh, ways to express in a, in a poetic way the value of the teaching, the direction, the Torah of God to our lives. Sweeter than honey, more precious than gold. This is something that the world doesn't understand. The world thinks it's foolishness. The world thinks it's foolishness that we would take a free Sunday morning and come to church like this. The world thinks that's foolishness. But we understand there's something more under, uh, underground, behind the scenes that people can't see that we need. And once we taste it, we want to come back for more. So, this, what we just read, is called the Hexapla. Probably not pronouncing that right. Six names for the law, six natures of the law, and six results of the law if we follow it. And I want to encourage us. I've been, I'm now 70, none of your business years old. <laughs> I've been around a while. I've watched I've watched Christians and non-Christians in the world all around me. And I see something that's become solidified in, in my understanding. If people do things God's way, his favor is on their life. His blessing is on their life. If people do things the world's way, then there's a mess on their life. There's judgment on their life. The wages of sin is death. It works out. You don't always see the result right away. But when you get to the end of your life and you look back over it all and you did things God's way, it ends up like this. And if you do things the world's way, it ends up like that. So you and I have a chance to turn our lives around right now. We can't turn it around when we get 70, none of your business years old. It's too late. You've already set, you've already set the, the rail that you're, you're running on. So now's the time to ask ourselves, what is God's way? How do we know what God's will is for our finances? How do we know what God's view of our, uh, of our sexuality is? How do we know what God wants us to do with marriage, raising kids, handling finances, what we do with our faith? How do we know that if there isn't somebody to guide us, point us in the right direction, show us the way to go, so that we don't end up in a mess like so many other people we know? How do we do that? Here's the first thing I want us to see of these six we're looking at the results of the law, if you do it right. The result is it refreshes the soul. What's the soul? That's that inner part of you down, out, down on the inside, you know. You live inside of this body that keeps aging. It matures, and then it really matures, and then it kind of gets so old it can't function anymore. That's your lifetime. You live in this body. The body doesn't get younger no matter how much money you spend on, on all these cosmetics and all these diets and everything. The body doesn't get younger. It gets older. Your soul doesn't get any older. Your soul just gets wiser or dumber. It's your choice. So the Word of God, the teaching of the Word of God, refreshes the soul. The English Standard Version says it revives the soul. 
the New, New American Standard Version says it restores the soul. Sometimes because we live in a fallen world where there's so much sin and so much, uh, I'll just say worldliness. I felt like, I felt like saying stupidity, but I'm, I won't. Worldliness. There's so much worldliness, and we're going to unpack some of that this morning. Sometimes it just wears us out, it wears my soul out, just wears me down. Sometimes that happens to my computer. I cannot get this, I cannot get this thing to do what it's supposed to do. So sometimes I'm just forced to reach down and hit the off button and just shut the thing down. Give it a little bit of time. And I turn it back on, and it reboots. That's the modern version of refreshes. We need to reboot our computer sometime, and sometimes I need to reboot my soul. That's why we have vacations. That's why we have weekends, because we need to reboot ourselves. We need to shut down the routine we've been doing all along, and all the pressures and all the concerns. We need to shut that down. And get refreshed, restored, rebooted. The Word of God lets me reboot the way I think. When I get into the Word and I read it and I read something about how somebody reacted to something or what God says about something and I apply it to my life, all of a sudden I see things from a new perspective. I've just become rebooted in that area. And as long as I've been studying the word and preaching the word, God still keeps teaching me new things about myself. Let's me see something I didn't realize about myself. Psalm 23 verse 3 says, He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. How does he restore my soul? He leads me in the paths of righteousness. For his name's sake. He shows me the right way. He shows me the proper way for me to deal with things. How do we deal with somebody that really makes us mad? How do we deal with them? You can do it the world's way and get vengeance. Or I can do it God's way and give him grace. I get blessed with one choice. I get cursed with the other. So I choose to be a forgiver. It's my choice. My soul is my inner me. And it's going to keep living after my body dies. And I have a choice whether it's going to be with Jesus or whether it's going to be in the other place. It's my choice. It's your choice. Okay, so let's go to the second thing. At the last part of verse 7, 7b, it says he... It makes, the word makes wise the simple. Makes wise the simple. Hmm, what's a simple person? We kind of think, well, I'm not very complicated. I'm kind of simple. Are we really simple? We need to think about what's he talking about with simple. What is he talking about simple means, simple person? Proverb 14, 15 says, The simple believe anything, but the prudent give thought to their steps. That's wisdom right there. Yes, it is. I need some wisdom. Makes wise the simple. Simple people don't have wisdom. 
Simple people just do whatever anybody else tells them to do. I hope you're not a simple person. But we probably are. We probably are. We're gullible. We want to go with the flow. We want to go with the crowd. We want to do what everybody else is doing. We want to, we want to be a part of where we can be accepted. And so we become gullible. We live in the world system. And we watch television. And everything they're trying to teach us about what's normal and proper and a simple person just buys into that and says, oh, that's, these are the modern times. I guess I'll do the modern time thing. And we forget what the end is. Because we're all going to have an end. Did you know that? Here in DeKalb County, it runs about 100%. Everybody comes to the end of our life. And then the judgment. Proverbs 27, 12 says, the prudent, which is another word for wise, the prudent see danger... And take refuge. But the simple keep going and pay the penalty. In other words, it's, it's, life is complicated. It really is. There's a whole lot of influences speaking into us. There's a whole lot of voices we're hearing. And some of those voices are good to hear. Some of those voices are not good to hear. It's wisdom to know who to listen to and who not to listen to. When to keep going and when to stop makes wise the simple. You can educate a simple person, but they're still simple. They're educated, simple person. Okay, I'd say something else, but I'm going to wait just a little bit to the next point. We need wisdom. Wisdom isn't something. Nobody has a college degree, a bachelor of wisdom degree. Nobody has that. They don't issue those anyplace. Wisdom comes from your experiences and how you choose to think your life. Some people are wise. Some people are simple. Okay, let's go to the third thing here. This teaching rejoices the heart. Puts joy in heart. I don't know about you, but this world doesn't put a lot of joy in my heart. I mean, I like to watch comedies. I like to laugh like everybody else. Some of, some of these movie producers and TV shows are hilarious. I mean, I like to laugh. But it doesn't rejoice my heart. I want something that rejoices my heart. The Westminster Catechism asks this question. What is man's chief end? In other words, what's life's purpose? The answer is, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Did you know that it's one of your purposes in life to enjoy God? You can't enjoy God if you're running from Him and trying to hide from Him because you think He's mad at you. Enjoy God. Rejoices the heart. God promises great promises to us. And if we do things his way, he brings those promises out. If we don't do things his way, we never get to see the promises. When God gives me a promise and I do things his way and all of a sudden good luck comes my way, all of a sudden favor comes my way, it rejoices my heart. I get so excited sometimes I can't hardly sit still because God broke through again. God did something amazing again. 
Now, here's, here's the problem. In America, we honor these things called emotions. If it makes you feel good, then it's right. If it makes you feel confined, then it's wrong. So we chase our emotions. Anybody that spends their life chasing their emotions, trying to find happiness, is destined to pain and suffering. The thing that brings peace in our heart is doing things God's way so you have God's favor in your life. And when God's favor is in your life, you have all kinds of good luck. Sometimes it's good luck. It doesn't look like good luck. It looks like bad. The Psalms is just full of this conflict between lament and praise. How long, God, are you going to let us go through this suffering? But God came through and blessed me. It's the lament and the praise. And our lives are full of that. And if we praise God in the middle of our lament, in the middle of our crisis, in the middle of our trouble, if we'll praise God in the middle of that, we're going to find his favor in our life. What is it that makes God sad? I've read the Bible. It's pretty clear. It's injustice. God hates injustice. He hates it. So when you and I can find somebody who's got an unjust situation going on in their life, and we step in and help bring judgment, or justice, I mean, if we step in and help injustice become justice, and unfairness become fair, somebody who's lost something, help them regain it, then we're making God happy. So once I know what displeases God, I need to look for with with those same eyes. Proverb, uh, let me me give you four scriptural perspectives about rejoicing the heart. Here's the first one. Proverbs 17.22 says, A merry heart does good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. A merry heart is what does good. It's like a medicine. You know, you got a headache and you take some Tylenol and the headache eases and it's not as bad as it was before. Maybe it's still there, but it's a whole lot better. It's a medicine. A merry heart does good, like a medicine. You can find something to bring joy to your heart. So God wants us to rejoice. Health Health is determined on our heart's condition. You know, if I'm, if I'm miserable and depressed, I'm not going to find victory. I have to find a way to get up beyond my depression. Here's the second scriptural thing I want us to see. Jesus told his disciples, don't rejoice that the spirits are subject to your name. That you command them in the name of Jesus to come out and somebody gets set free. Don't rejoice in that. Here's what you rejoice in. Your name's written in the book of life. That's something to rejoice about. And if you stop and think about how many people in this world are going to go to hell... I mean, they're going to burn there forever and ever. I believe in a literal hell. God doesn't want anybody going there. He sent his son Jesus. He sacrificed his own son so nobody has to go there. But people still choose to go there. They reject the gift. I'm going to heaven. I want to see you there. Here's the third one. There are three parables told, I think it's in Luke 15, 
parable of the lost coin, parable of the lost sheep, and parable of the lost son. All three of those parables talk about someone who is lamenting having lost something that they value. All three of them find the thing that they lost and get it back again. And all three of them celebrate by having a party and bringing everybody in. Rejoice with me. Rejoice with me. I've, lo- I've found what I've lost. So we know God is trying to say to us, it's important to him to get back what he lost. He's talking about souls. He's talking about you and me. I'm the lost coin. I'm the lost sheep. I'm the lost son that comes back again. That's what rejoices God. And the third thing is the story of this Ethiopian eunuch who was reading the Bible, but he couldn't figure it out. He just was all confusion to him as he was trying to figure out what the Bible was saying. And Philip came up to him and he said, can I help you with what you're reading? And by the time they got done with their conversation, the Ethiopian eunuch says, well, what keeps me from being baptized? Nothing. Well, here's some water. Can we go down and get baptized right now? Absolutely. So the eunuch got down in the water. Philip baptized him. The eunuch got back in his cart. Philip went on his way, and it says, and he went on his way rejoicing. Here's a man who thought he was, he was confused about God, but once he understood about God and decided he was going to follow God, he was rejoicing. He wasn't a part of a church any place. He still didn't understand what the Bible was saying, but he knew he was on his way. And if you'll make your decision that you're going to follow Jesus and find where you fit, find what he's trying to say to you, you can walk away rejoicing. Here's the fourth thing we learn about the law. It's in uh, the second part of verse 8. It enlightens the eyes. Enlightens the eyes. I had these laid out, out on the table here, but... Pastor Adam thought somebody left him up there, so he hid him from me. But I found him. <laughs> my eyes have been enlightened. I have, uh, I have these glasses that are kind of yellow tint. I don't know what they call them. I'm sure there's a name for this kind of glasses. But you put these things on in the evening or on a cloudy day, and it just brightens everything up. It makes you feel like you're in the daylight again. And it enlightens your eyes. When you get into the Word of God, it's like putting these glasses on. It helps you see more clearly, helps you see things from God's perspective, helps you see things as God sees them. So if you have a pair like that, every time you get them out, you remember, this helps me see like God sees. Psalm 119, 130 says, the unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. The unfolding of your words, I love that because we put the word of God in a Bible. You know, in our culture, we bind them up like this, put the leather cover on it, put pages in there. And we close it up and we say, this is the word of God. It should be in a prominent place. So we take it home, put it on the coffee table. And we think there it's in the prominent place. The prominent place is your heart. It needs to go in a prominent place. It needs to, you need to get it down inside of you. And the only way to do that is to get the thing up off the coffee table, blow the dust off the thing, open it up, and begin reading it, and let God speak to us through it. 
Okay. It enlightens the eyes. John 16, 13 says, when the spirit of truth comes, that's another word for the Holy Spirit. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you, that's the Torah, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak of his, on his own authority, but whoever he hears, he, whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's the master teacher. The Holy Spirit resides within us. So he can teach us things right where we are, right where we live. Not only that, but the Holy Spirit is also inside the person to your left and the person to your right. So he can teach you things from them. Holy Spirit's also inside of me. So this morning, as I'm unpacking what the Lord has shown me to share this morning, that can be, the, that can be God speaking to you what you need to hear for your life. It enlightens the eyes. Here's, here's number five, the fifth thing. It's found at the beginning of verse nine. It endures forever. The word of God endures forever. Let me say it again. The word of God endures forever. It does not become old-fashioned. It, do, it does not become outdated because here we are in the 21st century and we have all these conveniences and we have all these uh, luxuries that, that we have in our homes and in our lives. None of us had, well, I, I guess I can't say this. Most of us did not walk to church this morning. We rode in a comfortable air-conditioned automobile or truck, right? Or motorcycle, whatever you want. Motorcycles are air-conditioned, you know. The word endures forever. It doesn't make any difference how difficult things seem in this world. The word of God still stands. I don't care what happens in the political picture of this world. The word of God still stands. I don't care what happens with politics in the United States in the future. The word of God still stands. I never shed any tears because my guy lost the election. Because I know it's in God's hands. And God's word still stands. Our president doesn't, he's not our king. Right. He's not our rescuer. He's not our savior. Right. He just presides. Amen. Culture changes every day. God never changes. Yeah. That's important to know. And because of that, the truth is brand new revelation anyone who doesn't know the truth so the truth has got to be broadcast either somebody's got to pick it up and read it or somebody's got to tell them what it says Amen. the word of God will set people free okay three minutes and, and here's my last point the word reveals righteousness yes. what is righteousness what's the right way who determines what the right way is does culture determine what the right way is or does God determine what the right way is? We all have to decide that. We all have to come to that place. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says, The word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. What does that mean? It judges the thoughts 
and attitudes of the heart. Gets right down to our motives, why we did such a thing. That's why you and I would make really poor judges because we don't know someone's motivation. We try to judge someone's actions, but we can't judge their motivation. But God can judge motivation. I don't even know my motivation sometimes. Deuteronomy 8.3 says, He humbled you, talking about how, what God did with your life to Israel. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. You don't just live according to your paycheck and the amount of money you can bring in, and that's, that's the source of your life. It's beyond that. If you want to live life to the full and have God's favor and blessing in your life, you have to do things God's way, not your way. Don't make a difference if it doesn't make sense to you. If you do it God's way, His favor will be there in your life. And Matthew 24, 34 through 35 says, Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. You get that? Heaven and earth and everything you know in it is going to pass away. Your bank account is going to be passed away. Your property that you worked so hard to make look real nice, it's going to pass away. You are going to pass away. Everything we know is going to pass away, but his words will never pass away. We can always lean on the words. So our question is, how serious are we about God's word speaking into us? And I want to challenge you. Be a rebel. Rebel against the culture as we know it. Get back to the word of God. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer, get back to the word of God. What is God saying his design is for us? And make up your mind you're going to follow that. Because... I guarantee you, when you get about 70, 80 years old, you will wish you had. Now you can change it. I want to encourage you. Make a decision. It's you, between you and God. Make a decision. You're going to get into the Word. You're going to live the Word. You're going to make it a part of your life. Can we all stand together? It's between you and God. Make that decision. Those of you that are, that are watching from home or in the Unity Hall, make that decision. It's your decision. It's your life. Make it count. Don't wait and see how things pan out. Make a decision right now. I did. And I am so glad I did.